Yeah, technology is a lever. It's a it's an accelerator of something, which is beautiful. But what are you accelerating? <laughs> I think is the question, right? Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. My name is Jason. I'm here with Leash. And today's episode is possible because of our friends at Compassion Canada. Yeah. And right now, because of the team at Compassion Canada, there are over 110,000 children supported by 90,000 different Canadians. Isn't that incredible, Jason? It's amazing. Like I, just... I love that. The support I, it, this is how I'm wired. I'm like, I love it. I love that 110,000 are sponsored. I think 90,000, like there's a lot more than 90,000 Christians in Canada. Like we wow. could double that. We should double that. We should do 220,000 sponsored children. Mm-hmm. Anyways, you, tell yeah. them more about Compassion. Wouldn't it be awesome if we were like, if we could get at least 100 more by the end of this call, end of this time together? Hey. It's just like, I just think it's a powerful thing that we can do is to extend a really practical support that actually Mm -hmm. impacts a real child's life. And Mm -hmm. it would just be great if Christians around the world were famous for that kind of support. Yeah. And Compassion Canada, they're always looking for awesome, passionate people to hire actually on their staff. So if you guys know somebody who is passionate about the work they're doing or is good at customer service, IT, web design, whatever it may be, tell them to go to compassion.ca and take a look at the positions that they're trying to hire because the work they're doing is phenomenal and you should join their team. I got to share at like a Compassion Canada staff chapel on Zoom and it's an incredible team culture. And so I, I, I honestly can't think of a more meaningful organization to work for. And so, yeah, yeah go ahead, check out their work. Uh, get more involved as a volunteer or even as a staff member. On another note, I thought I would just say off the top of this episode that if you were thinking about applying for the Church Leaders Incubator, we've talked about on episodes past, we are reviewing applications for that this week for our September intake. So you can find out more about that application at ccln.ca slash incubator. Yeah, you're not going to want to miss out. This first year is going to be epic by the sounds of it. It's going to be so fun. What are you looking forward to this summer, Jason? We are heading into summer right now. What are you looking forward to? I'm always so surprised when you ask me these personal questions. Like I'm (laughs) usually like, let's just get to the details. Who's on the show? Who's the sponsor? What's the information? Uh, Thanks for asking, Leash. Um, I'm excited and nervous about uh, a post COVID summer. And I know it's not fully post COVID, but Mm -hmm. restrictions, at least in British Columbia, are opening up a ton. And so there's a part of me that's so excited to gather with the church, to worship together, uh, to do things with friends indoors and outdoors. But the introvert inside of me is, um, to be honest, a little, um, I don't think I'm able to process the transition as fast as they've done the rollout plan. So, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's, it's conflicted. Um, mm-hmm. I'm really excited about the projects happening with CCLN and our church. And it's a really meaningful time. And I think that September will be exciting for the church in Canada. Yeah, I agree. And it's funny because I'm the extrovert and the extrovert in me is like, I can't wait to hug every single person I see. Like, I'm, I'm nervous that, about I'm going to be that, that person. You're going to be nervous I'm about I'm happy me. that we don't really hug acquaintances anymore. And I know, so it's true. I'm processing it's, that. No, but I'm really looking forward to see what, you know, what's going to happen. Well, this week we have a Canadian friend on with us, Vijay Krishnan. He is the lead pastor of the Well in Greater Toronto area. And 
He is amazing. His story is amazing. He actually began his career working in the Toronto business community for 10 years in retail marketing. Like that is so awesome. And during that time, he helped launch The Well in 2009. And now he transitioned into the lead pastor role. He's passionate about seeing the unchurched, the de-churched, the post-everything people in the greater Toronto area come to know Jesus. That is amazing. I can't wait yeah, to hear it was about a, what he has to say. It was a great conversation. I really love VJ and was grateful for his time. Before we jump to the episode, I do want to say something. We've got this monthly newsletter going out. And what we're trying to do is curate really helpful resources. Like I know as a pastor, we spend so much time crafting content, creating events. And so if you can find a resource or even an article or a course you can do with your church that actually helps you do the work, it can save a ton of time. And there's great resources out there. So what we're trying to do is to create a monthly e-newsletter for church leaders in Canada with great resources and articles for them. For example, one of the things profiled in the most recent newsletter is the Missional Life course. It's a course from John Tyson and Tyler Preeb out of New York. It's a great course. It's great for discipleship tools within the local church. That's one example of many more resources and articles being shared in the next newsletter. So if you want to check out the June newsletter, you can go to ccline.ca and see that. And while you're there, why don't you sign up for the mailing list and get them right into your inbox. With all of that said, let's jump into the conversation with VJ. Well, VJ. I am so grateful that you'd make time to hang out today. How are you, man? Give me a window into life in the GTA. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like your world and and not like your world. I always I always say every time I go out west, I'm like, why why do I live in the east? And but that's come just on a out, man. Out to the west coast. Come oh, on man. out. <laughs> no, get behind me, Satan. Don't talk like that. Um, no, you know what I. Um, I, I feel the weight like everybody else does in terms of uh, not just as an individual and, you know, people have said this, but it is so profound still that we've never had to walk people through something we are going mm-hmm. through ourselves at the same time for so long. Wow. And, you know, that's hard. So that means you, you're, you know, it's one thing to walk with people in a pastor, right? You're always walking alongside people and what they're going through. And oftentimes you can relate to what they're going through, but rarely are you going through the exact same thing uh, at the same time, which is great because mm. we can relate, but it's hard because it it feels different for every person. Some people, this has been a season that's actually brought more blessing than hardship. Um, some people have lost work. Some people have had to work twice as hard. Um some people have been affected dramatically physically. Some people are better off physically. They're, they're, they're not traveling as much. They're working out more. So it's, it's strange, right, to, mm. to be going through what other people are going through. And so I, I feel like I'm frustrated at myself sometimes because I'm like, man, like, why do I feel so tired? Mm. Um, because I would say in, in terms of the major factors, I have not been affected in my home, like uh, my, my own immediate family, my wife and three boys, like we've been healthy through this. Um, haven't lost my job, thankfully. Um, you know, uh, but I'm like, and, and to some degree, I have more time or more flexibility. Mm-hmm. Why am I so tired? I've never mm-hmm. been so tired. Like you, and I'm a get up and go person. I also, ever since I got into pastoral ministry, I never really ever thought, why am I doing this? Right. You know, I know people think that, but I, I never have. And yet this time, like some weeks I feel full of purpose. I got the wind at my back. Other weeks I'm like, it's grinding it out. And there's no, it's manic and it's not predictable. And it's yeah. not even tied to the, I can't explain why other than obviously, you know, the big picture. So 
I mean, I feel very blessed to be a pastor right now, man. I'll tell you, mm-hmm. like, I, it's what a privilege to get to walk with people through crisis and hard mm. times, you know? Um, so, Such yeah. an honor, but such a, yeah. it, I, I love what you said. Like, we're walking through something with people that we're going through ourselves for such a long period of time. And I really connect with you, VJ, when you said like, man, there's some weeks where I'm like, back mm. in, you know, re-inspired, solving new problems. Yeah. And then and then fatigue sets in or discouragement. And it's like, and then I almost feel like I can't bear to open my inbox, you know, and oh yeah. The, and problem. the fatigue and creativity a vicious circle downward, you know? Yeah. Like when you're tired, you can't be creative. One of my staff person said, I feel like we're being asked to solve the same problem over and over again. And I've used up all of my good ideas. Like it's right. a year later, I'm like, no, I can't solve this again. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, like when in Ontario, we went back into lockdown. It's like mass. Everyone's like, that was great. It feels like that. This is what it is. It feels like the things you do when you hit upon something that quote works, if I can say that as practitioners, mm. you know, where people felt loved, you found a creative way to connect with them, you did something new, whether it's technology or alternate ways of of sort of trying to stay connected and together. And it was great, but there's no momentum. Once it's gone, that it's, it's just like it's it was like you set off fireworks. It didn't it didn't create any momentum into the next mm. week or the next time. So I don't know if I'm alone in that, but so it just feels like you're you're just trying to like crank it up again. And yeah. you don't know whether what you've achieved has actually achieved anything. Mm-hmm. We're in this unique spot, hey, where we're looking to, I feel like we're always talking about post-COVID, post-COVID. <laughs> yeah. It feels like it's on the horizon. And, and let me be clear. I think we all know there's no like firm line. This thing's over. I think it seems as though for the next number of years, there's going to be some kind of quasi in between. But mm-hmm. let's say like, you know, va- as vaccines roll out and um, you know, we, we're kind of looking at the fall, like maybe we could do under 50 worship services and maybe we can, um, think creatively again around kids ministry. And as you're like looking now, here we are, uh, we're recording this, uh, just approaching summer and you're looking to the fall. How are you reframing the conversation for you, for your staff? Like, how are you, what problem are you trying to solve as you look to the fall and try to plan? Because the old framing of like, just quote unquote, we'll go back to what we did pre-COVID or the old framing of let's try to just, just, just innovate within this. It's almost like there's a feeling of like, we need to reframe here for mm-hmm. us to be able to solve this problem. How are you reframing the problem and approaching thinking about the end of 2021 and 2022? Yeah, it's good. I mean, we've been asking that question a weekend since the weekend of the pandemic because we didn't know when that would be. Um, early on, I would say, um, you know, we try to keep learning from whoever's around us. Um, I'm a bit of an omnivore in terms of like, hey, I'll learn from anyone, you know, inside faith, outside the faith, people kind of within my tribe, people outside, anything I can get my hands on. And there was a lot of common themes around, hey, tech, like, Technological revolution. We've been in it for a few decades already, um, but this has fast-forwarded our need for it, and the church has been behind on the tech wave. And so now there's there's no you can't get around it. If you want to meet, you've got to figure out how to um, leverage technology to do that. All that's true, and um, you know we were sort of okay, and it made us move some things forward on that side of things. And and I've enjoyed that. That's been kind mm. of fun problems to solve. 
What I felt a little bit uncomfortable with, and I didn't know why at first, was this idea that, hey, the future, this is the future of church. Online is the future of church. And so not just, hey, this is an amazing tool. If you haven't been leveraging, you have to. <laughs> That's true. But this is the future of church. And I, and not to be overly critical of what people meant by that, because I'm sure people mean different things. But I was like, uh, in 2000 years, lots has changed, but we haven't stopped meeting together in person. Um, and I was not one of those people. We were not one of those churches that was banging down the door saying, well, we can't be the church unless we're meeting in person. We're like, no, we're so much, we are the body and we're, we're separated right now, but we can still be the church. So I didn't buy into that idea that we have to be in person in order to be church or worship. No, but uh, we talked a lot about it with our teens and saying, is that really what the future of church is? And, and it, it made me start to think about something and jump in if you want to whatever, um, ask a clarifying question or something. But so coming out of the Protestant Reformation and the, the priority of scripture um, and the priority of pastors as teaching scripture, you know, because to some degree we would look at that as Protestants and saying, well, part of the problem there was that the power was held by the church and only a few people could read scripture. It, obviously, literacy was, was, a, was a barrier to that. But the printing press and all that came with mm -hmm. this idea of, you know, priesthood of all believers. Everyone's a priest. Everyone has access to the word of God. The word of God, even this finding out that maybe the church in ways had drifted from what the scriptures had said, well, we need to come back. So scripture became the new center, mm. right, of that. And there's so many wonderful things that have come out of that. But it, it basically thrusts the, the, the sermon to the center of the worship mm. experience for most Protestants, right? If you're Pentecostal, it's the drum set. Uh, if you're a millennial, <laughs> it's, the it's the coffee it's cup. The it's the call, the man. Well, exactly, exactly. So I don't want to oversimplify kind of by sure. using the term Protestant, but I think if I just look at my own kind of tradition out of that. Um, and so then, so then you've got that, that. And then you've got the, the kind of modern worship movement or a lot of the writing, this, the beautiful hymns that came out of that, even like, you know, 17, 18, 20, 19th, 20th century. And then Vineyard Movement, like Hillsong, Bethel, amazing, you know, creativity and music and just music expanding that way. In a sense, it, it actually kind of, I don't think anybody tried to do this, but there was almost this scandalous reduction mm. of what the gathered worship experience is. It's preaching and it's music, which music equals worship. And we even say that, and I've done it too, we're gonna to start our time of worship, you know, and we mean is singing. And so church is now a place you go on Sunday, specifically an hour on Sunday, and primarily about preaching and worship, mm. uh, worshiping, singing. So I started to think, you know, I've been a little bit uncomfortable with that, even though I love preaching. like. You know, there's regular times where I go on too long and all of that kind of stuff. Um, You're the only person that goes on too long. I know, I know. So I'm just confessing. <laughs> I've right? never done that before. No one else can relate. <laughs> yes. Um, so, but still going, is that is that? Because, so then, um, you know, Donald Miller writes a blog a number of years ago that says, hey, why do I need to go to church anyways? I can get great preaching on the internet and I can get great music, you know, through iTunes or whatever. And you know, a lot of people were mad at him. How could you say that? Whatever. But we didn't know why. We didn't have an answer for him because mm. I thought, we've done this actually. He's just, he's just naming it. Emperor has no clothes. He's just saying, hey, that's kind of what it is. Um, 
And we have all contributed to that. Me, like as a part of saying what this is in this grand reduction that he says, okay, well, if that's all it is, then I can just get that. So then mm-hmm. fast forward to the pandemic and everyone's saying, hey, the future's online, online church. So now I can think as a pastor, okay, when you ask me, hey, what's, what's ahead? Where are you setting your sights? I'm thinking, okay, how do we take what we used to do primarily in person and now turn it into digital? Hmm. Instead of saying, that kind of actually lets me off the hook because it gives me a very tangible, pretty concrete and thing I can throw some money or some, uh, you know, human resource horsepower at and figure it out. Hmm. Um, and then good, we've moved on to what's next. Instead of saying, wait, maybe, maybe we, we shouldn't actually be just taking what we've been doing and putting it online. Maybe you need to change what we've been doing. Um, because maybe we've, we've shrunk it too much. And now we're actually realizing embodied presence really matters. Hmm. Um, being in person, like if Jesus chose to save the world by putting flesh on, which theologically blows my mind. So think about this before the incarnation, God was not flesh. Like the Trinity existed, but mm-hmm. not in human form. And yet he was completely complete and happy. And we know God was God, the unchanging one, you know, the perfect one, the almighty, like Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But then the incarnation happens and the unchanging one changes mm. by taking on flake. And like the hymn writer, I think says, took on flesh or one of the creeds that God chose to accommodate himself to us mm. by translating his presence into a language we could understand, which was human form. And forever since then, embodied presence has meant everything. Forever since then, earth and heaven have met. Mm. Um, you know, and so, okay, like, what does that mean for the church and the way we meet together where in a season where we weren't allowed to experience embodied presence, it was taken away from us. And so do we go, oh, we actually don't need it. Online's the future. Or do we go, wait a second, even if I don't feel I need it, some of us miss it. Some of us crave it and feel like I hate the online stuff. I can't do it. I can't wait till we're back in person. Other people, I've had people in our congregation say, oh, this is good. Like, I like this. And I'm not being, uh, you know, critical of where you land on that, but there's some things we miss that we know we need. There's other things mm-hmm. we don't miss that we need. <laughs> and I feel like embodied presence is one of those. But the question we've been asking our staff is, what are we inviting people back to? Mm. Are we inviting them back to what it used to be like? Well, in part, like you said, we don't even know if it can look like that. But should it? And should it change? And does worship need to be expanded and redefined? I was just speaking at a worship conference and I said, honestly, one of the biggest challenges we have as worship leaders is boredom. We are Mm. battling boredom. There's a lot of people in our church who don't like singing. Um, And not saying we should get rid of it, but... They, if we say worship is singing and they don't like singing, they check out or, you know, they, they get tired of singing the same song over and over again. Like we're losing them. And we've told them that's kind of what worship is. It's like, no, worship is more. It involves your body. <laughs> it involves how you, you know, move, whether you're, you know, a dancer or not, right? Right. Whether you got moves like Jagger or not, like you, it, it does it involves your mind, body, spirit, the relationships, everything. And we as pastors are in charge of the liturgy. It's mm-hmm. up to us, you know, and not to say we're trying to like, hey, people are bored because they're used to Netflix. Let's juggle. Let's set off fireworks. No, but is there a broader form of liturgy where preaching and music find their appropriate place? Um, 
rather than saying the future's online, no, the future is perhaps coming back to some things we've lost mm. in church history or finding new ways to bring out what embodied presence and a more robust experience of worship looks like. Mm. So experiential prayer, um, you know, one of the things we're trying to do is like, even in our online thing is, okay, the end of the message, what do people do right now? What is something yeah. they can do right now, right where they are? And it's maybe not feels as great when you're online, but when we're back together and we're doing it together, oh man, that is going to feel like to hear each other's voices more rather than just the one way from the front. So I don't have an answer to that. It makes me yeah. way more uncomfortable than saying, hey, figure out the technology piece. Mm. Um, this one is, you know, uh, Heifetz and Linsky in their book, uh, Leadership on the Line, talked about the difference between like adaptive problems and I can't remember what their other terminology was. And they said like the other term, uh, another kind of problem is uh, you just figure a technical problem. They said the technical right. problem just requires some skill, some resources, some know-how, and you can solve it. Adaptive problem requires you in the middle of the problem to change mm. and to, you know, um, that's, so that makes me way more uncomfortable, Jay. I don't have solutions. I don't have, you know, and, but I feel like that's where I want to put my energy. Mm. <laughs> I think what's so compelling to me about what you were saying is like, you, you identified a trajectory and I appreciate that you're not saying every church is doing this. There are some churches that have curbed this trajectory. Oh, some people yeah. listening right now, but you, you identified a general trajectory that I identify with of a reduction of what the local church experience is, our liturgical forms, discipleship pathway, whatever it is. And that was happening pre-pandemic. That was happening pre-internet. There was this kind of distilling down um, and I, and this is someone, I love the worship service. You know what I mean? Like I Me like, too. I like good preaching. I like great worship. I like good prayer ministry as a response. Um, I like taking communion with people, but like over time it's been reduced, reduced, reduced. So the question then becomes as we incorporate the digital space mm -hmm. and tell me if I'm hearing this right, does that further the trajectory of reducing what we do or could we let's say the future for most churches is, is this beautiful mix of we have more opportunity through online to connect to people's day-to-day -day, seven days a week. We have more opportunity to reach people, connect them to the community. Even if they travel for work, there's all these opportunities. Yeah. Um, but can we just dis determine that our trajectory has to be in towards a more robust worship experience, a more robust discipleship pathway, a more robust, uh, discipleship experience for the average person. And that's a different problem to solve than yeah. how do we take what we were doing before into yeah. a, a, a new space or whatever it would be. Yes. Yeah. Technology is a lever. It's a, it's an accelerator of something, which is beautiful, but what are you accelerating? Hmm. <laughs> I think is the question, right? It oh, interesting. Is, yeah. Cause, cause the, the, it's, it's, um, you know, there are some people who would argue that technology is not amoral, but I think it is. It's it's amoral. It's not like uh, it's not good or bad. It it but it 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 exacerbates existing issues, and it accelerates things. So so our job is to say, okay, wait before mm -hmm. we hit the gas, the digital gas pedal. What are we? Um, this disruption, because this is the thing. 
You couldn't engineer this kind of disruption in your community as a leader. If you did, you would be irresponsible and they should fire you, <laughs> right? Like you couldn't. And yet disruption is what you need um, all the time. And, um, you know, someone said like leadership is disturbing people at a rate they can absorb. Hmm. And uh, not like, cause you're trying to mess with them, but because we know and ourselves are being disturbed as part of it, we're not all we should be. We're, we're constantly, you know, turning, you know, bronze snakes into idols, you know, like we're constantly doing that stuff. So, so disruption is, can be a gift. And again, God has not caused this disruption. He's not the bringer of plagues uh, to us. Like we live in a broken world and a creation that's groaning for redemption. Okay. That's what Paul says, like creation, all of us, but God is the one who redeems everything. Mm-hmm. And so, if I have this disruption that I didn't, I didn't, no one has to blame me for. I didn't do this to the church. I didn't say, you know what? We should stop meeting in person and see what happens. I didn't do any of this, but I have it. I'm a steward of it. And what's, so now that some things are all in pieces are up in the air, we have this beautiful opportunity and a massive excuse to, it's kind of like young people who are getting married have this massive excuse not to spend $50,000 on a reception finally, yeah. right? Just going. So good. Yeah, we really care about all of you, so we don't want to bring you together together. We're just like, just take the cash, put it down on a house. Forget that, um, right? It's this beautiful chance to do something totally new, and mm. I don't want to miss it, even mm. though it's very uncomfortable uncomfortable for me to. I'm not a pure innovator, Jay. I'm not one of those, and I would say for probably most of the pastors listening, most of us aren't. They say like. of people are those true entrepreneurial leaders who are out at the front of the boat, Mm. so to speak, you know, doing their best Titanic thing, like looking out while the rest of us are busy kind of with what we're doing. And and that's fine. Like sometimes I wish I was that kind of person, but like they have other, they have weird dreams at night. I don't want that. Um, But, but um, so I, I can have the temptation not to be looking out. So I need that disturbance of going, okay, yeah, we're working with what we've got and we're trying to change the wheels while the car is moving, you know, to mix metaphors. But what, what could be done in this? And let's not be afraid. I think that's the thing is it comes down to risk taking. Like, and someone once said, if you overvalue what you have in your hand and you undervalue what you will gain, you will never risk what's in your hand. Okay, say that for um, me again. Yeah, if you overvalue what's in your hand, so think about parable of the talents, right? The, the one yep. servant who buried it. If you overvalue what you have and undervalue what you could gain if you sacrificed it, mm. you'll never risk. Mm. And so, you know, to some degree, we've been given this beautiful opportunity to say, well, what's in your hand has been all messed up anyways. Um, yeah. Why are you afraid to risk? And if I'm yeah. still afraid to risk in a season like this, man, that tells me something's not right on the inside of me. Mm. Um because I haven't disrupted and created this change, but it's in front of me. So now I have no excuse not to take risks. What am I afraid of? Um, so I, those are the questions I ask myself these days. I love it, dude. I love listening yeah. to your process. That's, I think what's really important right now is like, I think we really have to wrestle with this. We have to ask the question, okay, what can I learn in the digital space? What can I learn from the season? How do I embrace the disruption? But then also to ask those bigger questions like, just acknowledge there's no Trojan horse. Church online isn't a Trojan horse. It's not going to solve our problems. You know, a new digital platform is not going to solve our problems. So the question is, what are we here to do? Who are we trying to, how, how are we forming people in the image of Christ? How are we making missionary disciples? Uh, and understanding like, what is our, you know, 
and, and, and then to wrestle this out with friends, like to have these conversations. I think it's why I want to host this podcast. I want to have someone yeah. on that's like, digital is the future, drop everything, go digital. And I want to have the conversation with the person that's like, you know what? I'm fully skeptical of the whole thing. You're not saying this, but I've got friends who I, we haven't had them on yet, but they're like, I don't think it's good for anyone ever. We should never do it. You know what I mean? Right. I'm reading yeah. like, what is his name? Rob Dreyer. I'm reading some of his books right now. And it's like, he's just like, no, we need to just form cell communities who can resist the storm ahead, like in Soviet Russia. Like that's how he's talking right now. Well, and yeah. And you go back to like Marshall McLuhan in the 19th, you know, I think seventies yeah. or whatever, like the medium is the message. Like this isn't technology, totally. isn't amoral. Like there's something deeply wrong here. Yeah. It is wrestling. I love out. that word. Yeah. And I think it's so important and it's really life-giving for, and, and, and I'll just say this though, it's exhausting. And so for, for tired pastors right now, it's like, oh, I don't yeah. want to have to rest this no. out. And I get you. I feel you. Um, but as we look ahead, uh, what is it that we're trying to do? Where, where are we going? And um, I just so appreciate you sharing those thoughts, man. Why don't you just take a moment and just, we got to rewind a little bit. I'd love just to hear your story into ministry because you weren't mm. on a trajectory into ministry. And so tell me a bit about your, your, your movement towards ministry and about your church. I want to hear about the well and uh, what you're leading right now and your team. So just give us a little bit of window into your story into ministry and, and the church that you're leading and, and how you guys got to where you're at today. Yeah, that's great. Um, just t- tell me to fast forward if I'm going too slow. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I didn't, uh, I grew up in a pastor's home, like as a pastor's kid. Um, my dad um, made the vocational switch when I was four. So he was an engineer and then became the pastor of our church when I was five. Hmm. Um, so I was too young to be processing what that meant for him. All I knew was now our backyard was huge because <laughs> we lived next to the church parking lot and whatever. So ball hockey and wall ball and all of that stuff. Um, so it was an amazing experience for me. The church was such an integrating place for me. Uh, hmm. It was a place of friendship. It was a place of spiritual growth. It was a place where I was taught how to lead. I was given leadership opportunities. It's a place where I was learned how to lead worship. Um, you know, the 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 older people in our church allowed us as younger leaders to cut our teeth on the platform. You know, in in many awkward moments, I'm sure. You know, um, and so I loved the church, and I knew it was not a place that you go or a hour on mm. Sunday. It was a community, and it was a life. And I knew my parents loved it, you know, so there was a, there was an authenticity around their own experience with it. So for me, there was no dichotomy of, you know, uh, professional pastoring and personal journey with Jesus. They were all intermingled. Um, neither was there a dichotomy between like church, what you do an hour on Sunday and the rest of your life. It was all intermingled. And I had friends in the church. I had friends outside the church. I had friends in the neighborhood who, who, who you know, who came to our youth group, but they weren't followers of Jesus. And so it was all mixed together and I loved it. Uh, I went to, um, I did my, my undergrad in commerce and um, kind of fell in love with marketing during that, mm. that time and advertising and all of that stuff. And so for 11 years after graduation and, and undergraduate education, I worked in packaged goods marketing and retail marketing. So um, yeah, managing brands and products and then um, worked for a restaurant company for uh, the last kind of five years of that part of my career. And so got into operations. So then I was 
I had like 170 restaurants that I was managing in a, in our province. I mean, I wasn't really doing anything, but you know, like, uh, and, and, uh, so it was with Swiss LA, which is a part of a, a bigger company. And so that was fun. Like I was, you know, making ads and working with people and trying to solve business problems and whatever. At the same time, um, in 2005, our church what was called Upper Room Community Church at the time. I and a bunch of other volunteers were uh, asked to help plant this church. Mm. And so I went as the worship leader um, to that. And we were all kind of in our mid-20s, late-20s. <clears throat> and, uh, um, well, maybe 30s, I don't know. Anyways, we were all so motivated to try to create a place where our peers from school and our working you know, colleagues could actually come and find Jesus. Hmm. We had, we wanted a place that was a bridge, you know, between where they were and where God was. And um, so, yeah, we, we helped plant it. So it was one kind of paid pastor and the rest of us were all volunteers. And uh, it was amazing. It was so fun. It was so hard. Hmm. Um, we had, you know, as what happens, I've learned now in church plants, a bunch of people left in the first couple of years, like people who say, yeah, I'm with you heart and soul. And then they're like, ah, oh, it's, you know, they move mm-hmm. away or, and a lot of us were in a sort of a transitory stage in life where you're, you're starting to get yeah. married. And if you get married or you move for a job or you're building a career or whatever. So there's a lot of that happening, but it was hard at, at points, yeah. you know? And I remember, I distinctly remember Jay God saying to me one day after, after a Sunday service, um, and I was discouraged. And I heard him say to me, and I just talked to another person who decided they were leaving. Mm -hmm. And I literally heard him say, are you the next one out or the last one out? Wow. I felt like it was that moment for me saying, VJ, like, are you, how can, and I wasn't on staff. I was, you know, I was a lay person, but I I was heart and soul. I mean, I would, I would go to work on Monday, like exhausted. And my performance reviews would come up. They're like, you know, you're doing well, but we don't know how passionate you are about this. Cause I was like leaving it on the floor every weekend when you're planning yeah. a church. I mean, you know, like it's, it's like, it's everything, you know, yeah. it's taking everything out of you. And, and not just like physically, emotionally, you're so invested in it and we're praying and we're, we're starting to see people come to faith. And so all these things. And, um, you know, I'm going into work and, you know, working a 55 hour week or whatever and trying to be passionate about what I'm doing. But, um, but it was hard. And so, you know, I'm getting discouraged. And I felt like it was, th- that was a moment for me with mm. God saying to me, do you love my church? You know, are you willing to die for this? Are you willing to, even if you think this is going down, are you going to stay to the end and shut the door at the end? Or are you the next one? And mm. I know well, it's not, sometimes it's not that, you know, black and white, but it was for me in that moment. And so I just said to Jesus, okay, I'll be the last one out. Like I'm not leaving. And that was long before I had any inkling that I was going to be a pastor. But, you know, as the days and weeks go by, I remember having a, one of those what if conversations with my wife, which are always dangerous, right? I was Sunday night and I was going, getting ready to go to work the next day. And I said to her, you know what? What if I wasn't going to that place, but I was going to our church and I was going to spend the whole week thinking about, you know, it was mm. a week of prayer we were starting at the beginning of the year. And I was like, man, I want to, I want to plan every night of this. Like, I don't want to. You know, and she kind of looked at me and she said, yeah, well, what if? And so it just started a process of wrestling and praying that went on for about a year. Hmm. 
But there wasn't really any opportunity for me to become a pastor where I was. We really only could afford to have one person and he wasn't going anywhere. And I didn't feel like I was supposed to go to school and like, I didn't want to become quote, a pastor. I just wanted to work full time in our church. I wasn't in love with the church. I just loved this church. You know, like that was where my calling was. It was from that local church. Mm. And I knew for sure, you know, one of the things that we said, okay, in when lots of things are up in the air, what's something we know for sure? And the one thing we landed on that we know for sure, when a lot of other things we didn't know was, we are not meant to leave this place. And that mm. came back to that kind of commitment I had made to the Lord. I'm like, if we leave now, like we're, nobody's in, in, you know, indispensable, whatever, but it was still a fledgling place and we were both pretty invested, right? Um, and we were, I would say, we had, we had a lot of relational capital within that community. So if we, if we mm. had left, it, it, I think it would have done some damage. Um, and so, that was the one thing we knew. So I'm like, okay, well then I just keep working. And I said to the Lord, God, this is killing me. Like, can you either shut down one of these things? Cause I can't hold two flames going every week. I can't keep this flame going for this church cause it's, and my work and try to do a good job and lead the people well. And, you know, I was sort of getting more influence in what I was doing in my work. So I had people that were responsive. Like the decisions I was making was affecting the people. I couldn't be mailing it in. And I didn't want to do that. But I was just torn between these two things. Um, and he said, no, I want you to keep them both going. <laughs> and for how long, I didn't know. And then, you know, I was at a conference with my lead pastor and he had actually told me he felt like it was time for him to move on. Yeah. And I said, okay, well, I, I kind of agree. Um, cause he was an entrepreneur. He was sort of a, a serial entrepreneur and he was ready to start what's next. And he said, well, you know, what about you? And I was like, oh no, like, <laughs> you know, I'm not ready. I had actually kind of shelved it, you mm-hmm. know, and so we just started praying and then all of a sudden I felt God saying to me, okay, you know, it's time. And wow. so, yeah, so went through transitions. That was 12 years ago. Wow. Um, yeah. So I did not know what I was doing, man. Like I, I had only preached two sermons in my life mm-hmm. and we didn't record them back then. Thank the Lord. Cause I don't, they were probably like train wrecks. Um, so I didn't, I honestly didn't know. I had to be okay with failing. I had to actually mm-hmm. come to grips with saying, this thing could fall apart on my watch. And mm. I felt like God saying, yeah, you can't actually say yes to this if you can't accept that that's a possibility. Mm. You know, um, so that was good, you know, just to go, I don't know what I'm doing. I just know I want to do this. Yeah. Um, and so that sucked me in, man. And I, I don't think I can ever go back. Like I have just so fallen in love with the local church and... Um, yeah, so it's been quite a journey of of growth for myself. Like I always say to my church, I don't know if you guys are learning anything, but I am. Uh, you know, I sure. Um, yeah, Dude, how much of your journey in those? I mean, the whole thing, but in those early years, was a journey of like because because your dad was in ministry and you grew up around it, mm-hmm. and your dad's a well-respected preacher and minister. How much was it um, taking? the best of what you saw modeled and then how much was it also rediscovering your own way with yeah. your own gifts? Like I think for sure. that contrast, like probably so much to grab hold of and to cherish and to live into. And that mm-hmm. probably was a gift. It kind of created a path, but at the same time, that path can also, like you're a unique person. I'm, I'm curious how you process your own ministry identity in light of that. Yeah. And I, you know what? I think this is true, whether you've had a situation like mine or just if you're a pastor in the state, because we are exposed to so much amazing leadership and teaching um, through the internet. 
And so this thing about like this tension of like, how do you learn and glean? And it's foolish not to learn. It's foolish to go, oh, I'm going to do my own thing and go my own way. There's so much to be learned, but you have to be yourself and mm-hmm. you have to find your own voice. Um, I just finished reading uh, Eugene Peterson's biography and, you know, one of the th- comments his son made in it was, Dad, you only ever had one sermon. <laughs> and he said at first when he said he was kind of like a little bit, felt like a little bit like, oh, really? Like, But then he said his son, who was also later involved in ministry, came back from an ordination session or whatever. And he said to his dad, that man hasn't found his one sermon yet. And mm-hmm. it, it was, and Peterson was like, oh, I know what you mean. Like, the, what's the thing for me that is my calling in this? And so, yeah, I felt like, I had sat under my dad's teaching for 25 years. It was like, you know, it, it was beautiful. Like I, I felt like he was, uh, I had learned so much from his teaching and his person. I just saw him grow in humility. He's somebody, he comes to our church now and and he's always like giving me f- positive feedback. I'm like, dad, you got to stop giving me positive feedback. You got to tell Sometimes me stuff. Sometimes he give you I'm, notes. Does he ever give no, you notes? No, never, like- <laughs> never. And I'm always asking him like, when are you going to tell me? Like, I think you screwed that one up, you know? Um, but he's always learning. Like, he's like, what are you reading? Tell me this, tell me that. Like, and I was like, man, I, I want to be like that. So he had affected me a lot. And I also mm. saw someone who was a great dad. Like I, you know, there was no... Um, sort of public persona that was different than who he was. In his, I also saw his personal disciplines and I would say to people, oh, you want a life like his? Like you have to, you have to like, it's his inner life that mm-hmm. um, you, you, you don't know the half of, you know? Um, so all of those things were such a positive, net positive for me. But I, we were so different personality wise. I don't think I was too tempted to try to be like him. In fact, that, but it was part of why I thought maybe I couldn't preach because I'm not a studier. Like I'm not a, he's a, he could, he lives in the world of ideas. He could study for hours. He loves the studying process. I hate it in the sense that like I, the painstaking of writing every line yeah. of going, which I do, like I write all my sermons and everything. I love the, the people and being in it and preaching it. He said to me once, he's like, yeah. I almost, the preaching is almost incidental once I'm said, I'm like, are you crazy? Like that's, if I, <laughs> I, that's what I live for. I'm like, oh, being with people and talking about Jesus and like, you know, being in the, like you said, being in the worship context, like that's for me. So I knew I was different than him. Um, so you're like, yeah, how do I glean? How do I learn? Well, then you have this other problem. If you, like me, like I hadn't gone to school. I have now, but it's taken me 10 years, but like, okay, you're trying to learn. Well, the problem is you're going to preach on, I don't know, Romans seven, and you listen to Tim Keller on it. It's like, okay, now I'm done. Like, yeah, I, that's really the only thing I could say on it. You know, I can't. So I was like, okay, I can't just be listening to all these other guys and not listening to Jesus and not mm-hmm. letting him speak and shape and form not only who I am, but what is he saying to me? And what is this particular context? My church need to hear. Like, I think that's what we miss as pastors. And even when you come back to this thing about like technology and yes, it can be a burden to think about, okay, how am I going to get creative? But the answers lie within the community you're a part of. You are Hmm. a product of that particular area of soil that Jesus has asked you to till. And each area of soil has its own environment of sun and shade and weeds and all of that stuff. If you don't know the community that you're shepherding in, you won't know how to speak to them. You won't know how to Mm -hmm. lead them. So it's like, how do I pay attention to that? How do I pay attention to who I am? And how do I cultivate my own ability to hear what Jesus is saying 
and to put it into my words and in my voice. Now that's the preaching mm-hmm. side, but I think that applies to like leadership yeah. in general, right? <clears throat> um, so I think paying attention about and still knowing, I want to learn. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to listen. I want to be influenced by the gifts that God has given the church broader, capital C. But I have to know who I am mm-hmm. and how God has wired me, who this congregation is, because I'm called, you know, I think when we think about calling as pastors, we can think about it in a disconnected way that it has nothing to do with the people we're called to. Like mm-hmm. we're always called to people, not to a thing. You know, G- wow. it says God so loved the world and Jesus was sent to a particular time and a particular place and a particular people group. He was born in a place and did most of his ministry in and around that place, not more than a hundred miles from where he lived. So for me, it was a little bit easier because I didn't want to be a pastor. I just loved our church and I yeah. wanted to be, so it, it was easier for me to connect my calling to the people. But I think mm. all of us need to have that as saying, who am I called to? I think we'd be less likely to leave them quickly if we had an understanding of that because we, we're right. Like when it's not going well and it's like, no, we'd have more context for why we're fighting for them, not with them, you know, mm. because these are people we've been sent to as opposed to, well, I have this calling and here's this people who need someone with a calling and now we're going to try to match it up. It's like, no, it doesn't work that way. Hmm. As you were sharing um, earlier, you were talking about your first sermons and how glad you were that they weren't online. First of all, me too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Second of all, um, I just had this thought that I think it's going to be a unique challenge for the next wave of pastors who will be overexposed and underdeveloped. Like there's, there's kind of a blessing of those early years of hiddenness and underexposure so you can develop and grow. Yes. And I think about by very nature of our age we are inherently overexposed. We have a social media platform, hundreds of people watching things than you do, and we're throwing content up there. Uh, our content's online. And then because of those very things, we're often less developed in our interior world, in our mm-hmm. craft. And um, while we're it's freaking so scary, much, man. Yeah, it's very scary. And I, 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 um, I say that with actually like empathy, like there's a version of that where it's like, and I say it, it's also myself and you, but it's like, there's a version where it's like, oh man, this generation un- underdeveloped in their interior world, overexposed, but it's actually, no, no, like, that's oh, us. I f- it's us. That's us. Yeah. That's us. And I feel, I actually feel like, um, there's like a fear and trembling with that. And mm-hmm. I know you, you talked about, I think maybe when we were just chatting earlier, just that reminder again, to cultivate our interior world. And mm-hmm. how even in the midst of COVID, there can be even like a spiritual atrophy that can set in. I just love to hear you speak to that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely something, if I were to say one thing I'm really thankful for in this season, um, this whole aspect of emotional health and spiritual practices, um, I feel like God's been hammering away on me at for the last you know five to six years. And we've been kind of taking that journey as a church and influences like Peter's Gazzaro and and with Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Dallas Willard's stuff on um, personal practices. Um, over the last several years, we've been talking a lot about that as a church and as a staff team. And I have leaned on those things heavily in this season. And I think one of the things I realized early on several years ago was I was not in touch with my interior life. 
mm. with my, the, I had a much more complex set of emotions than I was even aware of. So I'm pretty steady from an emotional standpoint and I'm an extrovert. So those two things just kind of make you think, well, I don't really have too many things I'm upset about, anxious about, sad about, whatever. Um, but that wasn't true. There were things going on under the surface. And this idea that, oh, I don't know why I got so angry there. Or I don't know why I'm worrying so much. It's like, well, there are roots. There are reasons. They're actually mm. in you. The stuff coming out of us. And so this is a season where like, we're being, our, our, our interior life is being stress test. Whatever is there, you're not, you're not really doing a lot of adopting a lot of new things in this season. You're just getting tested on what's already there. Hmm. And so what's coming out of me in this season, fear, worry, aversion to risk, anger, um, despair, escapism, you know, whatever little addictions I've gone to in this season, they're all, they was all there before this. The pandemic has not caused any of that. It's actually just brought to the surface everything that was there before. Good, bad, ugly. Hmm. And so I think that, um, you know, and you're right. I, I think that, uh, well, it was, it was Susan Cain, I think, in her book, uh, The Power of Quiet. And she was talking about introversion versus extroversion. She actually highlighted the fact that the Industrial Revolution was where everything shifted from interior life to exterior image. She said hmm. it used to be that we had time and space and people uh, were, were given the opportunity to think and reflect. And the, the influential people were the wise, sort of more quiet, kind of introverted. And it's not an anti-extroversion thing. She was just saying, when Industrial Revolution came, everyone moved to cities where people didn't know each other. Um, you had to build relationships quickly because you couldn't rely on the fact that your family had been in this neighborhood forever with all right. these other families. Nobody knew each other. So now the impression you put out quickly in your first couple of interactions is who you are. Hmm. And so she said, what that did was it shifted all of the emphasis to our exterior life away from our interior life. Then you take our history as someone described as Protestants where the church divorced in the Protestant Reformation, right? And and the parents divided up the assets and the Catholics got some and the Protestants got the other. Like some of the stuff we as children of that lost, we lost some of the spiritual practices. We mm -hmm. lost reflective prayer. We lost silence. We lost solitude. We lost any kind of idea of the monastic um, life or practices as being holy. Um, that's done a number on us, I think, and then you add the technological revolution on top of that. You're absolutely right. The pressure to um, display, to perform, to exhibit, to manage the fact that suddenly we are being seen and heard. Um, so I think it has just reinforced to me the need to say, man, more than ever, I need to be more in touch with my interior life now than ever. Hmm. And I think even in a proactive way, not just kind of dealing with the emotions and the stresses I feel, but saying, um, you know, because we've heard this word, we've, we heard this word, um, pivot, 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 pivot. That was at the beginning. And then it was innovate, 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 right? And I'm feeling this pressure going, okay, yeah, I got to pivot, got to innovate. And uh, realizing, you know, the other day I was thinking about something going like, no, innovation is actually an outcome. Hmm. It's not a lever you pull. Hmm. Like when something new gets birthed, something truly good, truly new, truly transformative, it actually comes out of something under the surface that has been chewed on, reflected, stewed, you know, curated, cultivated, reflected on. 
So I started realizing, okay, not, not even just from an emotional life, but in terms of the future of where I need to lead our congregation. And, you know, as a team, we've been aware it's taken a certain amount of energy to lead people through this. It's going to take a different kind of energy to lead people after this. Okay, so actually paying attention to my inner life and what is God saying and what new things is God doing under the surface that will eventually result in something innovative in some way, mm. however you want to describe that. But the goal is not to try to pull that lever of innovation. The goal is to say, okay, God, like you're doing new things. You always are. And I'm not a separate person on the inside than how I lead. In fact, how I lead comes out of who I am on the inside. Jesus said that, right? What the overflow, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So out of the overflow of the interior life, the exterior person leads or interacts. So lots of reasons to oh, lean into more of those practices in these days. And that's been helpful for me, but also kind of like hard to stay on. Yeah. You know? Oh man, I so appreciate even just the plot line that you drew there to understand a lot of the movements that lead us to this moment. And, mm. you know, I was walking this morning. That's like been the only, like the most anchoring thing for me in COVID. Is just <laughs> yeah. If I can just get out the door really early and let the air wake me up and then just walk. And sometimes it's earbuds in listening to the Bible. Sometimes it's not. And, um, and I, I feel like here, like trying to respond off what you're saying. I feel like what my MO or job description as a leader in this time is, is to be not so busy that I can't be clear-minded, attentive to God, mm. attentive to others, courageous, and at times even decisive. So mm. what I realized is that what was happening was the overactivity, I was putting downward pressure on people around me out of my anxiousness, out of my stress, unable to make decisions because I wasn't being mm. still and I can't tell what's going on in the future. And so all of my activity wasn't moving us forward. Yeah. And I, I, I think what you're saying with innovation and I hear how you're using the terms and it's like, if we're going to be able to actually bring a, whether it's a new idea or a clear call to action, or you just have the courage to do the, the good things we know we ought to do, whether they're new and innovative or not, just the good things we ought to do. There has to be a, 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 enough stillness, enough room and space to be clear-minded, to be convicted, to be attentive to God, attentive to others. And mm -hmm. I really take that as just the call to action from you just to, yeah, to, I think if I was to hear the theme from the beginning, of what we're talking about is we look to the future, not just to stumble into it, but to be intentional about it. And if we're going to be intentional about it, how do we create margin and space in our life so that we can be clear-minded and approach it with a sense of thoughtfulness and conviction? Yeah. Because I think you can't necessarily make sense of what's going on without that time for reflection. And to know mm. that some things you're just not going to be able to make sense until after. So mm. just to know that this season's doing a number on us in some ways. Mm. And the more reflective and attentive I can be now, <clears throat> it, it will help me be in listening mode and stay in that. And I think just out of a stewardship for my own congregation, realizing, and I said this to our staff, they need us to be well and healthy coming out of this. Mm. So let's not spin our wheels and try to overact in this season. Make sure you're resting. Make sure you're attending to the insides and your relationships because I want to be in it for the long haul. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't just want to like, yeah, I got you through this, but I'm done. You know? yeah. And I've heard that from pastors and, I, and I, I don't say that. I understand that for some, that's what's happening. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but for those that would say, no, I, I got gas in the tank. Well, I'd say, okay, so how do you replenish in this season? Yeah. 
I think it's in Jeremiah. Oh. It talks about a tree planted by streams of water that has deep roots that uh, bears fruit even in seasons of drought. Hmm. Um, like, man, that's good. Yeah, I love it. And I've loved chatting with you so much. Any final thoughts before we sign off today? No, I just appreciate what you're doing, man. I, you know, and I think like I, you mentioned this, I, I hope any, nothing I'm saying is making anyone feel guilty. I hope it's just encouraging and mm-hmm. validating to just the kind of where, where we're at and that, yeah, like you don't have to do more than what is required of you in your own space. And don't let a lot of the other things that you're learning, the good things, kind of send us into a spin that actually ignores, no, like I've planted you in this particular place with this particular people. Someone said, if every day has an end and every week has an end, if we have too much to do at the end of every day and the end of every week, but God's the one who sets the limits, then we're probably doing more than we should be doing. Hmm. Like we're doing things God hasn't asked us to do. So So maybe it's just a helpful thing to say, Lord, what am I doing right now that actually you haven't asked me to do? Because Mm. you put the limit of of day and night and seven days. I didn't. Um, So if I have too much, probably there's some I'm not supposed to be doing. So maybe that's a good conversation to have Mm. with Jesus. I love that. Well, dude, I'm so grateful for your time. Thanks for spending it with us and excited to share this with all the listeners. Uh, It's incredible what you're doing. Love your voice and look forward to chatting more in the future. Thanks, Jay. You too. God bless. What a great conversation with VJ. Well, thanks again for joining us, friends. And as a reminder, if you haven't yet signed up for the CCLN newsletter, head to ccln.ca to get the latest podcasts, information, books, resources Canadian pastors are engaging in today. Well, that's all for this week. And in two weeks, we have a special interview hosted by our friend, Brett Ingersoll from King's Church in Atlanta, Canada. He sits down with Kevin Myers from 12 Stone Church who pastors in Georgia. Kevin is an author, great thinker, and our team loved listening to his interview. We know you'll definitely enjoy it. So come back in a couple weeks to check it out and we'll see you then.